Our text for this evening is our gospel lesson, especially this last part of it where it says, Jesus blessed them and he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. This is our text. How many of you, when you purchase a brand new book or you get one on Amazon and it's delivered to your doorstep and you begin to crack the book open and want to read it, but you just can't wait, and so you turn to the last page and look at it? And yet you still maybe go back to the beginning and read the whole book through, maybe already knowing what the beginning had or what the ending had to say. You read the ending, you look at the conclusion, and then you read the whole book with that in mind, knowing the way it's going to end, knowing the way it's going to conclude. It's kind of like watching your favorite sports team on TV. Maybe you've recorded the game, and you already know in advance how it's going to end. It's a lot less stressful that way, isn't it? Well, tonight, what we do is we turn to the last page of the Gospel of St. Luke, And we see there how the end of Luke ends. And it ends with these nine words. And they stayed continually in the temple praising God. That's how the whole book ends. It ends in the temple in Jerusalem. It ends in the place where God always promised he would be for the sake of his people. It ends with the continuous worship of the disciples in that very same temple. It actually ends, if you go back to the beginning of the book, in the very same place where the book of Luke begins. So let's go back to the beginning. What's happening there? There it is that we see Zechariah. Praying in the temple, lighting incense, worshiping God. It's there that the angel Gabriel comes to him in his old age and tells him that he and his wife are going to have a son and that son is going to be great in the sight of the Lord and that son ends up being the last of the Old Testament prophets preparing the way from the Lord and he is, of course, John the Baptist. God is present in his temple for Zechariah in the same way that he has been throughout the course of the entire Old Testament when or after the temple is built. And then, just verses later, at Jesus' conception, the infant in Mary's womb becomes the place where God's saving presence is located. And so when it comes time for Mary's purification and Jesus' dedication at the temple, Jesus is brought to the temple in Jerusalem where, if you think about it, the presence of God meets the presence of God. It all comes together in one place there in the temple. The Gospel of Luke then goes on to tell us that a little bit later at the time that this Jesus is 12 years old, he's once again present in the temple teaching and instructing his elders. Now fast forward all the way to Luke chapter 23, the second last chapter of Luke's book, and we find that the curtain that has veiled the presence of God in the temple is torn in two at the time of the death of Jesus. Now that the presence of God has come into the world in that person and in the work of Jesus Christ, and Jesus has now fulfilled his saving presence, 
the time for the temple to be the one and only presence and dwelling place of God has come to a close. So the temple curtain is torn in two. Which then brings us back to the end of the book. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken away from them up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and stayed in the temple continually praising God. For the first time in the entire book, Luke reports that Jesus is actually being worshipped. Throughout his entire ministry, we see it, that the disciples don't completely understand who Jesus is, that he was both God and man, that he had come for the very purpose of being crucified for them by taking all the sins of the world on his shoulders and then that he would rise again victoriously over sin and death and the devil. But it isn't until after Jesus' resurrection that the disciples finally recognize the presence of God in the person of Jesus and they cannot do anything else but rush over to the temple in Jerusalem and stay there continually, worshiping Jesus in the presence of God in the Jerusalem temple. And now those same disciples are just a few days later about to be filled with the presence of God once again in Pentecost. And the saving presence of Jesus is no longer going to be in one place, but it's going to fill the earth. The saving presence of God will no longer be contained in the Jerusalem temple. It will now fill the church whenever and wherever the word of God is preached and the sacraments are administered according to the institution of Jesus. Jesus is now present for his people wherever they are gathered together. Anywhere and everywhere they may be, Across the world or anywhere in the universe, Jesus ascended so that he could descend and fill all things for your sake. Isn't this a lot like the life of a Christian, the life of a believer? We Christians live life knowing what's going to happen at the end. We, we've read the last page. We've gone to the end of the book of Revelation. We know that all this ends in life after life after death. And there's a strong and certain comfort in that. It's nice to know that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, it all ends with being in his presence. It's nice to know that one day we will be with all the saints who've gone before us. It's nice to know that we will one day surround the throne with the elders, the angels, and the four living creatures. And so we live very comfortable, at least we ought to live, very comfortable Christian lives, knowing that our sins have been forgiven and that our debt has been paid. But maybe that's the problem sometimes that we live lives that are maybe just a little too comfortable. Maybe there are times in our life when we find it that our life is a little bit too much like the disciples before they understood who Jesus really was. Since we know how it's all going to end, and we know that we're going to be forgiven, we, we might as well go ahead and sin. 
or we find that those little pet sins that we have, we have a hard time giving them up, figuring that as believers, we're still going to experience God's forgiveness, but, but we stand condemned when we hear St. Paul speak the words of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? St. Paul says, by no means, may it never be. We died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? And so when we are comfortable in our sins, we find ourselves too much like the disciples before the resurrection. We fail to see his divinity. We fail to worship him as true God. We fail to offer our very lives as a living sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving for him. We, we don't deserve to come into the presence of the living God. In fact, our lukewarm faith makes him want to spit us out of his mouth. And that's why the words that follow St. Paul's words in Romans 6 are so important. Because Paul goes on to say, or don't you know that all of us, all of us, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. At our baptism, our end came to our beginning. At the moment we were baptized, judgment day came. And you know what the judgment was upon you? Not guilty because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are forgiven of our sins at that moment and given the gift of eternal life. We are baptized so that a new person rises daily to live before God in righteousness and purity. We are spiritually born anew in baptism, born from above, so that in the end we will be physically born anew into life after life after death. And that's why every single Sunday when we get together, or Saturday night, if you come on Saturday nights, we begin with the end that happened in our baptism. We begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, being reminded that we are baptized believers gathered together in the name of Jesus and where his name is, there he is present in his temple. New birth is on our minds from the very beginning, the very opening words of the worship service. And then the divine service walks us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the service finally ends, if you think about it, with the ascension. At the ascension, the first ascension, Jesus raised his hands over his disciples. And what did his disciples see? They couldn't help but see those scars. The scars that had been nailed to the cross for their salvation. And so the last thing the disciples see before Jesus ascends into heaven are the scars. The scars that gave them new life. And then Jesus transforms his presence to fill the earth wherever and whenever the church is found. And so our service ends in the same way, with the pastor's hands upraised 
over God's people in blessing, in the same way that Jesus raised his hands immediately before his ascension. The service ends, then, if you think about it, at the beginning. The beginning of a new life before God. The beginning of a new week with God as we go out from church into living our daily lives. The, the beginning of a new book that's written for you by God. The book of your life. So we turn to the last page of God's book and and there we find brand new beginnings for every ending in our life, whatever it may be. Jesus' ascension assures us that every ending has a new beginning. Amen.